going to finish up Acts 13 next week, but I want to take a, a moment and look at this particular passage of Scripture that's actually a really big deal, and like many things in life, you might not know it's a big deal unless you really pay attention. You ever had one of those things that like, you know what's going on, you see something and it's like, oh my gosh, that's incredible. And then like somebody else sees it and they, they don't really have your background. They're like, why is that a big deal? My wife does that all the time with me. She's like, do you not see? And I'm like, I don't see, I'm sorry, I'm trying. Um, I was actually reading an article this week about a lady in the Bay Area uh, that in 2015, she threw away uh, an Apple One computer, which was the very first computer ever manufactured uh, by Apple. And the people at the recycling agency uh, saw it and they're like, oh my gosh, this is an Apple One, because you know her husband had died, so she was just cleaning out stuff, and they sold it for $200,000. But this was basically just like a recycling thing, like bring your old computer, drop it off. So they were trying to find this lady, they put the news, the word out in the news and all these things, they were like, how are we going to, and this lady, they never found her. So. This is an Apple One computer. Is that what you expected it to look like? Because to be honest, most of you are like looking out and you're like, oh, like I'd throw that away too. <laughs> I don't even know what that looks like. This is what it actually looks like. That's actually what you would get if you ordered an Apple One computer. So you can go to the next one. Yeah, so if you have your own TV and your own keyboard, you can hook them into that and actually make something similar to a computer. Right, but you wouldn't know that, right? To be honest, if I left that on my counter, my wife would throw it away 100%. I don't know if you have wives like that, but um, like they just looked like trash. So what we're going to look at today uh, is going to be similar in that in first glance, if you look at it, you might not know exactly what it was. But if you look at this and knew what you were looking at, Right? You would see the way that Steve Wozniak actually used the fewest amount of chips possible and how Steve Jobs wouldn't let him solder anything other than what would be a perfectly straight line. And you would see, if you knew what you were looking at, you would see the foundations or the principles or the values in how they created that very first circuit board and what they would call a Mac computer uh, that would translate to great success. I mean, Apple became the biggest company in the world right now, uh, most valuable anyway. And so you would see those things that they instilled in their very first product and things that were important and valuable to them. Today, we're going to look at something very similar. This is actually going to be Acts chapter 13, the very first public sermon that we have recorded from the Apostle Paul. You've heard the Apostle Paul, right? He, he's this incredible figure that God used in incredible ways to uh, further Christianity and to reach people for the gospel. This is the first sermon that we ever are told that he gives. The first one that we're ever uh, seen written down. And just like that Apple computer that we looked at, if you pay attention to what's going on, you're going to see the values in what he expresses. You're going to see the way he orchestrates his sermon and what's important to him in his life that is actually going to be really important later on and going to carry him to be one of the most influential people on the planet earth by God's grace. So Acts 13, here we go. Just so you know, we're going to read the whole thing at once. We're going to be very like art snobby type people, right? You know, the art snob people or the coffee snobs or any type of snob. They're like, oh, we're purists. We don't want to mess anything up. We're going to do that right now. We're going to read the whole sermon. 
We're just going to be like, let the Apostle Paul and the Word of God wash over us and don't mess it up with your stupid jokes, Jared. So we're going to read straight through it, starting in verse 13. Mentally prepare yourself for a little bit longer than normal passage of Scripture that we're going to read, but hang with me, okay? Students, you guys going to hang with me? Yeah. yeah, I like it. I like the energy. Here we go. Starting in verse 13, chapter 13. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos to Perga in Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch and Poseidon. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. And after reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand, he said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, who, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. And before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing this course, he said, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he, no, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whom, whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, nor understand the utterance of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled by condemning him. And although they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God has promised to the fathers, thus he has fulfilled to us their children by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son and today I've begotten you. As for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says in another Psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised from the dead did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sin is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything which you could not be freed from, from the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told to them next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. So that's it. 
the very first recorded sermon that we have of the Apostle Paul preached. What do you think? Was it what you expected? More interesting, less interesting, a little dry, a little boring? Who thought it was pretty long? You, nobody wants to admit that, right? <laughs> you're like sitting there in church like, mm, I'm not saying that. Actually, you're like, actually, if we could wrap this up in that minute, right? That would be good. No, no. It actually, I timed it. That took about two minutes and 37 seconds. And some of you are like, oh my gosh, it took forever. You just read the whole thing. Well, it didn't take forever. It's not super long. And you might think it was a little boring and a little dry if you don't understand the stories he's actually talking about. And so one of the things that's going on here is he's in a Jewish synagogue speaking to Jewish people about their history as the people of God. So as he's telling these stories, they would have been like, yep, oh yeah, I remember that. Oh yeah, I remember that. So if you're wondering like, oh, what are all these things he's talking about? This Saul guy, the, the king and the King David guy and led them out of slavery and gave them a land and conquered seven kings. There's actually a ton going on in this passage that they would have already understood. And since you're probably not Jewish and probably not as familiar with these stories, we're going to talk about them in just a second. But first, we're going to do an English lesson. Everybody's excited about that, right? Everybody gets excited about English. Nobody gets excited about English. Uh, English, when you do it, uh, you have sentences. And sentences, if you go back to your like third, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, you have subjects and you have predicate. Who remembers those parts of a sentence? Right? Subject and predicate. Four of you. Okay, that's fine. Public school. Yay. So anyway, we have a subject and a predicate. A subject is what the sentence is about. The predicate is something about the subject. Okay? The sentence is about the subject. The predicate just tells us something about the subject. And so I'm going to put a sentence up here, just an easy one, right, for you to see. It's going to say, Billy walks his dog. Yes. What's the subject of the sentence? Billy, Billy walks his dog is the predicate. Okay. Now, you might be a little confused because you're like, there's a dog in that sentence. The dog is not the subject. It's called the object. Okay, the sentence is about Billy, and what is Billy doing? He's walking his dog. Why is that important? Because as you read through this sentence, as you read through this sermon, you will see that over and over and over again, God is the subject of the sentence. These sentences are not about us. In fact, as I read through it, there are 12 different things in verses 17 to 23 that I see God doing. Not us doing, not the people of God doing, but God being the subject of the sentence. I'll list them out for you, see if you can find them. God chose his people. God made his people great. God led his people out of slavery. God put up with his people when they were obnoxious. All the parents in here get an amen, right? God destroyed seven kingdoms in Canaan for his people. God gave land to his people. God gave judges to rule his people. When they asked for one, God gave a king to rule over his people. Then God removed that king because he wasn't very good. So God raised up a new king. There was a man after his own heart. Then God brought Israel a savior and finally God fulfilled his promise. We've been talking about these two different paths for a little over a month now. 
that we saw starting earlier in Acts chapter 12. And we talked about the path of self-magnification, and we talked about the path of God-magnification. Right? And we spent two weeks talking about the path of self-magnification because it was pretty important. And then we spent last week, uh, two weeks ago, actually talking about the path of God-magnification when they started out on this mission trip. And then last week, we talked about what God-magnification looks like when it comes to wealth and finances. And now we are seeing the character of a man who God is going to use incredibly. And as he preaches his very first sermon, it's all about the magnification, not of self, but of God. And, and what's even more impressive as God is being magnified over and over in this sermon is the things that he is magnified in. Like these stories are incredible. And, and maybe you don't realize that. Maybe you're not Jewish. Maybe you're not super familiar with the Old Testament. That's fine, right? But just to, to name a few, God chose a people, it says. Do you know how that happened? Like, that's ridiculously, like, economical of Paul just to be like, yeah, he chose the people. Like, no, 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 give us the details, man. This is incredible. God called Abraham back in your Bible out of the land he was living to into a promised land, said, I'm going to make you a great nation. He kept him safe all the way along, ended up giving Abraham and Sarah a child when Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90. Like, like the, he, like God, like put his hand on the biology of these two older humans in order to produce a child so that no one would look around and be like, oh, this child is just like everyone else. No, this child is a promise and fulfillment of the goodness of God. And that's just one of the 12 things, right? Then you go on, he builds that nation into this incredible group of like 1.8 million people. That's about the estimate, close to 2 million people. And they're slaves in the land of Egypt. And God like raises them up. And for 400 years, he makes sure that their, their women don't miscarry and their children are healthy and they grow strong and they have enough food to eat and they, they keep working and building this nation even though they're slaves in the country of Egypt. And this is incredible, incredible. And then it says God led them out of Egypt, right? Can you imagine, like this took 400 years for God to do. The United States of America has been around for like 250 years-ish. And God was working on this plan of building up his people into a nation and leading them out of slavery for 400 years. Do you get the magnitude and scope of what was just said? Like, think about if God came to you this morning and, and, and you're like, God, this is such a blessing. Thank you so much for the things you're doing in my life. And he's like, yeah, I've been working on this for 400 years. I've been waiting for this day to bring this news to you for 400 years. How many does that change your perspective about the scope of the goodness of God? Right? That he's been working on the things that he's bringing into your life for maybe centuries. In fact, I think of this. Uh, can you imagine if this wasn't like a sermon, but this was like a resume format? Like if God was like, like applying for a job and there's somebody that's like interviewing him and he's like looking at the resume. It's like, it says here you are the mighty God of Israel for the last few thousand years. Can you tell me what uh, responsibilities you held in that position? And God's like, yeah, well, like I raised up this uh, group of people, you know, within the nation that was the strongest and most powerful at the time, raised them up to about 1.8 million people. Uh, and then I led them out of uh, that bondage and that slavery. I kind of, you know, 
the stuff that I do, like organize like the solar system and like changed a few laws of physics and like biology and like with 10 plagues brought my people out of slavery. And then actually that, that group of people wasn't too happy to lose those. So I organized a military campaign against the largest and most strongest nation in the world at the time and destroyed their entire army uh, in less than 24 hours. You did what? Uh, well, you know, it's just what I did. That was my responsibility. You asked, you know, just job experience. What? Are you kidding me? Like you organized a military campaign against the greatest nation on the earth and eliminated their entire army in less than 24 hours. Yeah. How many casualties? No casualties. No casualties. How did you accomplish that? Well, I used an ocean, but the sea actually, the Red Sea. You killed an entire army with a sea. Like just look, just look the magnitude of these things. Right? Like, well, I know we're into like self-protection and there's like guys that have like concealed carry and stuff like that. And like, we like bring like knives and stuff or baseball bats at our houses to like protect ourselves. And God uses oceans, right? I got a switchblade. I got the Red Sea, right? Like, like this is like the magnitude of God is so far above and beyond what we, like, God can just be like, hey, I need to do something, but I don't have a tool. I know I'm going to use an ocean. <laughs> right? Like, I win. And, and over and over, all 12 of these things are of that magnitude. Like, then he led these, they get out of slavery, and now they're wandering in the desert. And for 40 years, it says he withstood this group of 1.8 million people, even though they were complaining against him. God, I don't really like how you're doing this. Why is this taking so long? Do you sure you know where we're going? This doesn't make sense to me. This is uncomfortable. And it says their clothes didn't wear out. They fit the whole 40 years. Their shoes never wore out, which is an incredible feat. And God just, you know, to sprinkle candy on the top with a little whipped cream and cherry made bread appear from heaven every single morning for them to eat. Like, even though... Paul is speaking to some Jewish people who would have been familiar with these stories. The God magnification in these verses is off the charts. You can see how highly Paul regards God. And, and these 12 things that Paul references here, they build and they build and they build and they build. And the pinnacle comes in verse 23. And the last two things that Paul said God did... He brought Israel a savior, and one more, he did what he promised he would do. That's the apex. That's the climax. That's the top of the mountain. All this incredible activity of God, all this power and ability and effort and resource was all for the purpose of bringing forth that savior of the world, proving himself a God who fulfills his promises, proving himself a God who does what he says he's going to do, proving himself a God who is as good as he says he is. And like we said at the beginning, this posture of God magnification instead of self-magnification, will be a mark of Paul's ministry for the entirety of his life. And I point all that out because we go back to our English, our English study, right, lesson. So many times we approach life as if we're the subject to the sentence. It's about us. It's about us. The sentence is about us, God. And God's like, no, no. yeah, you're a noun, but you're the object. 
God is the subject of the sentence. You are only an object in the sentence that is about him. Right? And that's not very nice to say. You would like to come in and I'd be like, you're special and you're great and you should believe in yourself and you can do great and mighty things. And everybody would love to hear that. I'm just telling you that self-magnification is not the path to the life God has for you. Okay? God magnification is all those things you think you want in life. Like fulfillment, purpose, meaning, contentment. None of that comes by making much of yourself. It comes by making much of God. And we see it so clearly in this first sermon that Paul is preaching. And it builds and it builds and it builds to this like incredible climax of God being the God that brought a Savior and fulfilling his promises, being just as good as he said he was. And then he's going to finish it up with this. He's going to give us two examples. One good example of how to respond to this, one bad example of how to respond to this, and one warning. Okay, so that's our last three points as we read through this. Let's look at the good example, starting in verse 24. So before his coming, so before Jesus is coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. Now, you're not Jewish, so you hear John, and you're like, John, right? You're just like, there's somebody here named John. No, this is John the Baptist, which is, you know, probably a terrible way to call him. We know him as that, but all the Baptists are like, yeah, he was one of us. He, he was called John the Baptist because he baptized people. He wasn't actually a Baptist, just in case you didn't know. So, John the Baptist is what we're talking about here, verse 25. And as John was finishing his course, he said, Who do you, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he, no, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Verse 26, brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent this message of salvation. So John is this good example of how we respond to the incredible magnitude of what God has done in our lives. Now, you don't know this about John. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. John was one of the most successful ministers in the history of the Jewish people. Thousands upon thousands of people would make their way out to the desert, uh, to the Jordan River where John was baptizing, and they would sit there and they would listen to him teach, and they would get baptized. Lines for literally thousands of people. And what did John do with that platform that God blessed him with? What did John do with that popularity? What did he do with all that influence that he was given? He said, I'm not he, but there's one coming. That's, that's the good example. Remember I told you there's a good example, a bad example, and a warning. That's how we're going to finish. This is the good example. It's not about me. Any blessing that I've received, there's one coming. One who I'm not even worthy to untie that dude's shoes. That's how incredible he is. It's Christ magnification. It's God magnification. It's not self-magnification. Right? John is an incredible example of this as thousands of people come to him and he might like have a little temptation to like put johnthebaptist.com like you can get my secrets to like how ministry is done like you know buildaministry.com like for 99.95 you can grow you know he might have a little selfie image on Facebook hashtag no filter you know like thousands of people in line he might be selling books and conferences he doesn't do any of that he says 
there's one coming after me. You should look to him. Right? And actually, later on, when Jesus does come on the scene, John's disciples are like, hey, John, should we go after that guy or should we stay with you? And John's like, that's the guy. And they leave John and go with Jesus. And John's fine with it. Talk about the absence of self-magnification and the epitome of God-magnification. This is the correct response to God. This is the right way to process this message that Paul has just given us. And it's almost as if he's reminding us how good the message is in verse 26. To us has been sent the message of this salvation. Like, guys, remember the message you have. Why would you ever think it was to magnify yourself? So that's the good example. Respond to the message by magnifying God. Now we're going to get to the bad example. Verse 27. This is the other direction. For those who lived in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him or understand the utterance of the prophets. So John recognized him. After me, one who's coming who's greater than me, they did not recognize. They're like, ah, probably not. We're probably the point. Jesus was like, I am here. And they're like, no, we are they. Right? Like, we're the, we're, isn't there a band called that? Anyway, right? If it's not, you're welcome. You can have it for free. Like, they were the ones that were like, hey, we're, it's about us. It's not about you, Jesus. Keep going. Verse 28. And though they found him in him, no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they carried out all that was written of them, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. So here's the bad example. He says in verse 27, they did not recognize or understand, even though the end of verse 27, 27, 12 is not a word. In the end of verse 27, the Bible was read every single weekend in their midst. Look at that in the end of verse 27. They are read every Sabbath. The scriptures are read every Sabbath to point to this guy, and they still didn't recognize him. One of the things that should be happening as we read the Bible, is you should be seeking understanding. Because the inference here is, I don't understand. Or I could understand better. Or I could, I have never understood. Right? There's this humility that comes when you read the Bible for understanding that you're like, I don't really get it. Please help me understand. These people did not come to the scriptures that were read every Sabbath with a humility of, please help me understand. They're like, no, I understand. He's not him. That's not the attitude of God magnification. That's self-magnification. And these men become the example of what not to do, not because they didn't read the Bible, but because they read it without the intention of understanding, because they read it with the intention of self-magnification. If you go to church or read your Bible with the idea that this has nothing for me, I will tell you, you're doing it wrong. Right? If you don't seek any understanding, you're like, oh yeah, we're just going to go hear some stuff and then go home, hopefully before the Seahawks win. Right? Like, no, the, the, you're missing the point. Don't waste this time. You got up. You got clothes on, right? Like, you made it down here. Like, seek to understand. Ask for the Lord to open your eyes to what is being said here. These men are an example of what not to do because they did not recognize the goodness of God when it was presented to them right in front of their face. And Paul spends the next seven verses proving 
I'm not going to go through them all because I'm kind of running out of time. But in your, in your passage, from verse 30 all the way down to verse 37, he spends seven verses proving from the Old Testament that they should have recognized Jesus. Right? So he goes, hey, it said over here, Holy One wasn't going to see corruption. Guess who rose from the dead? Right? And they'll be like, well, that's about David. No, David's dead. And he never rose. Right? And he keeps going back and forth to these Old, past, old Testament passages that you should have recognized. This was about Jesus. You read these scriptures and you didn't even think about them. You gave up too easy. Right? You're like, you know what? This is harder to digest than the Amazon miniseries that I really want to watch tonight. So I'm just going to watch that instead. Right? I actually saw a meme. Never mind. That's a soapbox. We're not going there. Here we go. If it's not in my notes, you're welcome. Verse 40, the warning. We had a good example. Someone who is all about God magnification, not about self-magnification. We had a bad example. Their self-magnification looked like, they're not talking to me. He's not talking to me. The word of God's not talking to me. I would know if it was talking to me. And then verse 40, a warning from Hosea. Be war there. Be war. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. Again, this is a quote in a book from a book in your Bible called Hosea. It was written by an Old Testament prophet. And what was happening at the time of Hosea that these people would have known because they're Jewish. I'm going to explain it to you real quick. Is Hosea is a, in a, a Jew, so he's in the people of God, right? But the people of God have been idolaters, meaning they have worshipped things that were not God. But, but here's what's crazy. They actually didn't stop worshipping God to worship these other things. They just started worshipping all the things at once, right? So they're like, oh yeah, we're going to continue to go to the temple and make sacrifices and read the Bible, but we're also going to worship this other stuff over here. And God was like, uh, that makes no sense. Like, you can't worship both these things. And that what happened was the things that they were worshiping that were not God were intended to magnify self. And pretty soon their worship of God began to magnify themselves. And God's like, you can't do this. You can't continue to worship other things that are not me and then come to me and pretend you're worshiping me when your only goal is self-magnification. You would make, like, this, this is not weird concept to us, right? If you married your wife, and then you were like, hey, I'm also going to pursue a relationship with this other woman, your wife would be like, no, you're not. You'd be like, no, 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 I'm going to love you still. I'm just also going to love her. How many wives are like, yeah, that's fine with me? None, right? They're all like, no, that's a terrible idea. You don't really love me if you think you can also pursue a relationship with this other woman. That's not what we're signing up for. And that's what the people of God were doing. They're like, God, we love you. And we also love this other stuff. And we're going to worship you both, okay? And God's like, no, not okay. And so God gave them warning after warning after warning after warning. Hey, stop worshiping that other stuff, guys. I'm not okay with this. I'm not okay with you worshiping these other things that are not me in order to magnify yourself. This idolatry that's going on in your heart, it's not okay. And for hundreds of years, God sent them this message through different prophets. Not okay. Still not okay. Still not okay. And finally, God sends this message through Hosea. And he says, okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to do something 
that you wouldn't believe it even if someone told you beforehand that it was going to happen. Like so incredible that it, even if someone told you beforehand, this is what's going to happen, you'd be like, no way. And so what God did was he rose, he rose up. I don't know if that's a word, but I'm going to go with it. He raised up the Babylonian Empire and Red Sea crushed Israel and, and took them all captivity, all into captivity, and they drug them back to Babylon. And in Babylon, the people of God were like, you know what? That idolatry was a bad idea. You think? Right? He'd been telling you for hundreds of years. And finally he says, okay, I'm going to do it. And it's going to be so severe and so incredible that you would be like, no way God's going to do that. Even if someone told you beforehand, like, that's not going to happen. And so he did it. And, And what happened is the people of God spent decades in captivity learning not to be idolaters, not to worship other things that were not God. That's the warning. That's the warning, right? We had a good example, John the Baptist, a bad example, the religious people that thought they knew it all, and then the warning. Don't continue to be an idolater. Don't continue to worship things that are not God. Now, it's kind of harsh, right? Right? It's not a feel-good message. It's not like, hey, guys, you can do it. You're just really misunderstood, and you need to not be triggered, and you'll have a better life, right? That's not the message he gave. And look at what happened starting in verse 42. And as they went out, the people were so mad that he condemned them. Nope, that's not what it says. The people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. Verse 43. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. Paul magnifies God in this first ever recorded sermon, and the people begged for more. Please don't stop. Please tell me more of how good this God is. Please tell me more of what this good God has done. These people were so desperate to be shaped by the goodness of what God had done. Do you see that? They weren't shaped by their idolatry in their response in that moment. They were shaped by how good God was in that moment. Please tell me again how incredible our God is. Please, how wonderful his grace is towards mankind. How mighty he is on behalf of this people. Please, please remind me how foolish my idolatry is. Warn me again of the dangers of self-magnification. Let me seek understanding as I read the scriptures and go to church and hear the word of God taught. May God reveal in my heart the worship of things that are not for him or of him for the purpose of making much of myself. Like this is what they were begging for. I'm going to finish here, even though it's not the end of the story. We're out of time. I'm going to give you some homework. Actually, I'm not giving you guys homework. You guys are done. You guys. You guys get my homework. Okay? I'm going to talk to the students for a minute, and you guys can watch or listen. Did you think it was boring? A little bit? Do you know those stories that we were talking about? When he led them across the Red Sea... When he brought them out of slavery, you heard of that stuff before? You heard that before, Connor? Yeah. yeah, a little bit. Did you know how incredible that was? Did you think about, like, God having, like, an ocean in his back pocket to, like, kill an army with? Like, that's pretty incredible, right? But here's the thing I know, that when I was your age, I kind of didn't care because I wasn't there. 
right? I mean, I think about it, but I'm like, I'm 12, man. Like, I got video games to play. So here's your assignment. You go home tonight, and you ask your parents the stories of God's goodness that happened in your lives. You go ask them. You go, hey, I get it. God did these great 12 things. That was cool. I was super stoked about that. But mom, dad, will you tell me how God got us through when we didn't think we would get through? Because I guarantee there's stories, right? And I know all of you, actually, now that I'm looking at you, right? I know there's stories in your life. I know your mom's going to be like, when you were six months old, we weren't sure we were going to make it through, right? I know they're going to tell stories about your sister, like, hey, that was tough. That was a tough time, right? I know there's going to be stories where, like, the, the job situation wasn't working out. Dad's health. We weren't sure what was going to happen. I know there's going to be stories of, like, I can't even believe we come to this church, right? We just got friends that invited us, and we're like, hey, this is weird, right? There's going to be story after story, not just in the scriptures of the good things God's done, but in your lives. That's what's incredible about this is that good God that we're talking about is not just a theory, right? And, and you guys are young, so maybe you don't remember as well, right? Because there's lots of stuff going on. But take some time just to remember how good God has been, not just theoretically in your scriptures, but actually in your family. So when you get in the car on the way home, ask mom and dad, tell me a story. Tell me a good story. Sound good? Deal? I'm going to ask you next week. I'm going to be like, tell me the story that mom and dad told you. I want to hear them. I want to hear them, and I want to be awesome. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for the stories, not only in your word, but that each and every single person in this place has of where you made a way when we did not see a way. Lord, we celebrate your goodness this morning and we recognize it as a reason for God magnification. Lord, purge us of self-magnification. Lord, maybe you be honored and glorified in the posture of our hearts right now as we sing of your goodness. You are good and you're faithful and you fulfill your promises and we celebrate that this morning. God, encourage hearts now as we sing. It's in your name we pray. Amen.